Bible. Good morning. Uh, if you have a Bible this morning, why don't you grab that and open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll be looking at verse 3 and following. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3 and following. I'll tell you guys a funny story real quick. I'm single parenting it this weekend. That's the bald spot that's right here from ripping the hair out. And so I had to come in here and check my mic. And I had both my sons with me. And they wanted to check the mic. And so they were talking. My oldest son goes, gets up and goes, this morning is when we will all bring glory to God. Now, Spider-Man will take over and left. <laughs> and then my youngest son, Luke, walks over and goes, Daddy, there's water on the stage. We're having a baptism in second service. He walks over and goes, Daddy, there's, there's water on the stage. And I go, yeah. He goes, is it a trap? And I said, it is a trap, yes. <laughs> so... So the people on this side always trying to get me, but we're ready for them. We're ready for them. All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter three. Once again, both the Corinthian letters, a vast majority of what is going on is Paul defending his ministry, saying he has the calling and the right to call himself an apostle and to be respected by the church. Uh, so when he comes to this passage, he's actually going to flip this section into a, a very long uh, kind of introduction of the gospel and an understanding of how the gospel operates. But he begins by speaking about how he should have been commended to the Corinthians. Or he's, his, it, the actual accusation against him is that he's self-commending, that he's saying he is worthy of that title and thing. So in chapter three, verse three, he says, and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So uh, in ancient times, when you were going to go meet somebody, one of the things that would happen was somebody who knew the person you were going to meet would write you a letter of commendation so that you could show up with a letter of introduction. You know, they couldn't like take a picture of it and text them to it and go, hey, this is Paul, he's coming over. Like, they had to have a letter. And so a lot of times what would happen is they would have these letters of introduction. They would go, here who I am, you know this person, they know me, introduction. Paul doesn't have this letter, and they're saying, you have no letters of commendation. You're saying that we should just trust you. And he says, you are my letter. The church is my letter. The activity of God among you is my letter. And he begins to try to press into them an understanding of the work the gospel has to do in order for a person to come to Christ. So his, his picture is, if I wasn't uh, a representative of Jesus, the ministry of the gospel would not have moved into Corinth and there's a lot of reasons for that. And to, to kind of begin to set up that notion of what he's trying to say, he references one of the most famous passages from the Old Testament about the new covenant and what was going to come. So uh, in Ezekiel chapter 36, uh, Ezekiel is the chapter in the Bible where the glory of the Lord departs the temple and basically symbols that the old covenant is done. In other words, try to, for, for, for if you're new to the Bible and you kind of don't understand that language, it's basically saying this, the time of Judaism is ending, 
and the time of Christianity will come. So the spirit departing the temple is kind of the, the visual representation of the time of Judaism is ending. And God gives them a prophecy about a new covenant that will come. A covenant is a promise between God and someone where they both vow to do something. And God is ending the old covenant. Uh, we call it the Old Testament, but it's the same idea. The Old Testament's the Old Covenant. The New Testament's the New Covenant. But God prophecies the difference between those two covenants in Ezekiel chapter 36. And in Ezekiel 36, verse 25, uh, the prophet Ezekiel records this. Uh, these are God, this is God speaking. I will sp sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. If you're new to the Old Testament, sin and unrighteousness in the Old Testament is called uncleanness. So he's basically saying, I'm going to take away your sins. That's basically what he's saying. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So when Paul uh, is speaking about uh, to, the, to the church in Corinth, oh, come on. Uh, he says, you are the letter. And he says, this letter is written not with ink, but the spirit. He's, he's pushing back into that picture the new covenant will be from the spirit. And then he uses that image, not on tablets of stone. And he's referencing Moses and the 10 commandments. Moses goes up on a mountain. He speaks with God for 40 days. He comes down with stone tablets that God has written his laws on. These are the emblems of the old covenant. He says, but on tablets of human hearts. So he uses stone, he's using heart, and you're gonna watch him really push into this metaphor and this understanding of the new covenant. So in verse four and five, he says this, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. This is interesting because the charge against Paul that's being most often made is that he is self-commending, that he is commending himself to them on the basis of his ministry. And he says, how could I claim to be self-commending when I'm not sufficient for anything? Like the primary claim that Paul makes about himself is, I have no power, I have no ability, I have nothing. Everything that happens through this ministry is God working for God. That's it. That's all it is. God working for God. So it's kind of hard to say, uh, you guys should really listen to me, when you're also saying, you guys should not listen to me at all. Like Paul's saying, the humility I'm trying to show is that this is all God, and it's always been all God. It's not about me at all. So he's taking that charge of them saying, you're self-commending, and going, how could I be self-commending? I'm not sufficient. I'm not sufficient to be self-commending. In verse 6, he continues this, no, this notion of sufficiency. Uh, our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, 
but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. The idea of a new covenant is put into the Old Testament. Uh, It's all through the latter prophets. This idea of there's a day coming when God will rise up and he will defend us and he will put a new covenant and all these kind of ideas. But the real institution of the new covenant is during the Last Supper. Uh, The night before Jesus is betrayed and crucified, he sits with his disciples who would become the apostles and he says, uh, this is a new covenant. Uh, He takes wine and he says, this is my blood spilled for you. He takes bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. This is the new covenant. And Paul says that covenant is Not based on the letter, but on the spirit. The Old Testament covenant is built around the law. It's built around moralism. How good can you be? How right can you be? Can you be perfect? Can you obey these commandments? Uh, But the new covenant is based around the Spirit of God at work in the heart. The Spirit of God at work in the heart in a very specific way. As the passage is going to point out, it's not okay just to go, well, God's in my heart and I kind of know what God wants me to do and, and God wants me to do whatever I want to do. That's what God told me. I'm listening to God. What's that God? Do what you want. Amen and praise the Lord. Right, that's, that's kind of the notion of the modern religious mind. But you're going to see that's not at all what Paul's trying to get across here. He is trying to get across that the law is not and never has been salvific, ever. In the book of Romans, Paul goes to great lengths to show that it was never the law that saved anybody. It was always faith. It was always faith but that the law had a very specific purpose. The commandments of God have a very specific purpose. And if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, it's gonna surprise you what that very specific purpose was. Paul uh, is always extremely gentle with his language. He tries not to offend people or hurt people's feelings. He's always like, how can I say this the best way, right? A sentiment I do not believe went through Paul's head ever, right? I don't think Paul ever sat down and went, oh man, I don't wanna hurt people's feelings. Like, how do I say this? This is what he says about the law. And it's important to know because if you're you're brand new to the Bible, you could walk out here going, man, that dude was slamming on on Jews. And that's not what's going on here. Paul is a Jew. He is speaking about the law given by God, which was the basis of Judaism. So if you hear me say Jew up here, please understand, I mean the religion, the practicer of Judaism, not the race. That's not at all what I'm saying. It's not what Paul's saying, because Paul is a Jew. But here's what he says about the, the law and its purpose. Now get ready. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such a glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, 
will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? All right, so let's, let's start and kind of walk through uh, some of this, this picture. I'm gonna get to the ministry of death in, in just on the next verse. But follow what Paul is saying about the law. Paul is saying God gave us the law. In Romans, Paul says the law is holy and righteous and good. If you walk out of here going, man, the law was horrible. No, law is good. It is holy, it is righteous, it is good. And it accomplishes its purpose, which Paul calls the ministry of death. But Paul's bigger point here is to try to begin to show the surpassing glory of the gospel. So here's what happens. <clears throat> Moses goes up on the mountain. He's there for 40 days. He speaks with God. God speaks with him. He, uh, God carves the Ten Commandments and the law on tablets of stone. Moses comes down from the mountain. And when he comes down from the mountain, he had been in the presence of God so long, his face is glowing. And it's glowing to such a degree, the Bible says uh, in Exodus 34, that the people could not look at him because they were terrified. They were terrified at how the glory that was on his face. Um, and uh, that glory is this picture of uh, the notion of, of Paul. Paul's life is instructive here. Let me put it to you this way. The apostle Paul is a Jew. It, he commends himself in one book saying, I was the Jew of Jews. I practiced the law and I was perfect. I did everything I could possibly do. Uh, I, I persecuted the church. I was a Pharisee. I followed all the commandments. Paul goes even as far to say, as far as the commandments said, I was perfect. Could anybody in here say that? I was perfect. That's what Paul says about himself. He then says, but once I met Christ, I considered all of it garbage. I considered it dung. Rubbish is the word he used, which was a word that mixed the words for excrement and trash. I considered it garbage. Why? For the surpassing glory. For the surpassing glory. Paul is completely as a Jew, is completely unable to see the true glory of the ministry of Moses and the law, which was to point us to Christ and bring us to Christ. The law's whole purpose is to bring us to Christ. That's its job. That's its glory. Its glory is killing you. You're like, that sounds awesome, right? Verse nine, he says this way, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, that's the law, the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. 
The law was instituted with the presence of God on a mountain that shook the mountain so hard people were terrified of it. The, the law was instituted with the presence of God on a mountain so powerfully that God warned the Israelites, if anybody touches this mountain, they will die. The law was instituted with an Ark of the Covenant, yes, the Nazi face belter, that they carried around in a tent and the glory of the Lord would fall down upon it. That Moses would go into that tent to speak to God as a man talks to his friend, the Bible says, and he would leave it and his face would be shining. And Paul says, it's the ministry of condemnation. Now think about that. When God instituted the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation, he did it with surpassing glory. Now you say, okay, Greg, let's get to this ministry of death stuff because I feel, I feel like that could be important in my life. The law has a purpose. Here's how Paul says it in Romans. He says, I did not know what coveting was until the law told me, do not covet and then coveting of all kinds sprung up in me. He says, now, did the law produce death in me? No, he says, sin produced death in me. The law's job is to show us how sinful we are. It's to show us we're condemned, right? Quick 10 commandments test. How many of you ever told a lie? Raise your hands. Your hand's not up, you're lying now. Come on. Come on, right? Not only would we say we've lied, could you count the number of lies? Could you even possibly? Jesus takes the law and shows us exactly how powerful those commandments are. He says this, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. Now if I asked how many people in here have committed murdered? If there was a sixth grader, he'd be like, me, right? We'd go, okay. But probably not many people in here. I like saying probably not many. So everybody's like, what is he talking about? Who's <laughs> in this crowd? And then Jesus says, but I tell you this, if you've called someone a name in anger, you murdered them in your heart. How many of you have ever called anybody a name in anger? How many of you have a brother or sister? Because you done killed them a hundred times. <laughs> Don't even lie. Don't even lie. Now make it funny, but the spiritual truth needs to resonate with you that if I gave you the whole 10 commandments test, I could convict you of a trillion sins in five minutes. The notion that we have that, oh, I mean, I'm a pretty good person does not survive the law. My favorite one is this. How many of you have ever broken the Sabbath? You're like, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, and I'll say, was well, today, right, the Sabbath? And you go, oh, yeah, today. No, the Sabbath is on Saturday. You don't even know what it is. <laughs> Surpassing glory. The moon is very bright until the sun comes out. The moon is glorious until the sun comes out and you learn 
that the moon's total glory is its reflection of the sun. When Christ comes and institutes the new covenant, Paul in verse 11 says, for if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. The law's purpose was to bring you convicted of your sin to Christ. Its whole point is to bring you to Christ. But on judgment day, that opportunity ends. On the day of our deaths, or the day that Christ returns in judgment, that opportunity ends and the law will end in its purpose. But the covenant of Christ will last forever. And even the covenants themselves try to teach us this truth. All right, so under Judaism, you could sin or become unclean, same thing. You could become unclean and you had to uh, offer a sacrifice or perform a ritual bath or wait a day. There's all kinds of different rules about how you could be made clean again, but it's temporary. Because if you sin or become unclean one day and you sacrifice an animal or do the bath or wait the day or whatever it takes, the very next day you can become sinful again. Israel's sacrifice for their sins on the day of atonement happened every year so that the sins of the year can be forgiven for a new try. But Christianity forgives sins forever. Not only every sin we've done, but every sin we will do. Now, if you hear that and you go, sweet, so I can start sinning as much as I want. Nope. We're going to get to that in just a second. But Christianity's forgiveness is forever. The ministry of the law's forgiveness is how long you can hold out before you sin again. It's not permanent. Paul points to the eternal permanence of the ministry of the Spirit. In verse 12 and 13, he says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Paul seems to intonate, and this is not in the Bible, but it seems to have become some sort of a Jewish legend that, that Moses would come out of the tent of meeting and put a veil on his face to cover the shine because people were afraid of it, but also because he didn't want them to see it fade. That eventually it will have faded off and he would take the veil off. It was coming to an end. Now that's not in the Bible again. That is just, uh, it seems to have been a legend that kind of picked up a little bit. But Paul is saying, we are very bold in our faith. Why? Because we know it's permanent. We know that the ministry of the Spirit is forever. In verse 14, but their minds were hardened. But their minds were hardened. He didn't want them to see the outcome of what was coming to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Paul is saying that it's not just Israel but it's anyone who sees the new covenant 
or anyone who sees the old covenant is veiled from the truths of Christ. Hearts are hardened because of sin. And a veil is over the face of the glory of the gospel. The glory of the gospel cannot be seen by the natural man, is the way Paul would put it. If you remember a few weeks ago, we read a passage where Paul says, to one group, those who are being saved, it is the smell, the fragrance of life. But to the other group, those who are perishing, it is the stench of death. It is an unbiblical notion that people can evaluate the gospel offer on their own and make their own call. A veil lies over the heart. And only God can remove it. In verse 15 and 16, he says, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read or the law is spoken, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The veil is removed. The new covenant replaces a heart of stone, a hardened heart, dead to God, dead to God. And if you're unfamiliar with that biblical language, I'm not making it up. That is the description of us in our sins, dead to God. But in Christ, we are made alive. In Christ, our hearts of stone are removed and we are given hearts of obedience. That's why I said earlier, if you think, well, cool, I can sin as much as I want to now. Careful, you might be showing you still have a heart of stone. You just know the Jesus words. I'm not saying that we won't struggle with sin. That's also an unbiblical notion. The notion that you should become a Christian and then all of a sudden be perfect is not in the Bible, never was. And if you were brought up in a church where you were made to feel that I should be a Christian and I should be perfect, then somebody didn't read Romans chapter seven. Sorry about that. But we are given a heart to lament our imperfections. We are given a heart to see them more clearly. I tell people all the time, if you think you're gonna become a Christian and get better at not sinning and everything's gonna get great, you don't understand what just happened to you. Because the actuality is the closer you get to God, the bigger your sins are gonna seem. Because the closer you get to perfection, the more our imperfections shine. But the Bible has a word for that. It says, where sin increases, Grace abounds. One of the most famous passages in the Bible that people love to use about their diets. Now where the spirit, the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That ain't about cake. <laughs> it's about the gospel. That now pleasing God is about faith about trusting his promise, about believing him when he says, you were my enemy, but I have made you my son or my daughter. I have made you my friend. 
I have adopted you into my family. Jesus is your big brother. You will sit at my table, not because you can be good, but because I am merciful and gracious. The new covenant is in the spirit, not in the law. In verse 18, he says this, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen? Amen to that. You better amen that. Come out there in that crowd and slap you. Gospel call is our hope. It is the glory of God for the salvation of those who believe. It is the glory of God for the salvation of those who believe. We're going to close in prayer. And if you need prayers, we close. We would love for you to come and pray with us. Some of our elders. Our prayer team will be here as we dismiss our service. Uh, We're gonna pray and close, but before we dismiss, Rick has one uh, thing we want to talk about right beforehand, uh, a new ministry we're hoping to launch. Uh, So as we finish praying, please stay in your seats for just a second. And as we close our time, and when Rick closes, if you need prayer, please come. We'd love to speak to you about a righteousness that is not based on how good you can be, but about how gracious God is. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for a new covenant based on your blood offered through faith and established by your grace, gifts all. Thank you, God, that in everything you will be for us a king of glory. You will be for us a king of grace so that in everything we can be your people for your name. In the name of Christ, our Savior King, we pray all these things. Amen.